0: The solutions will not come from politics, and I think we have an opportunity to sort of backfill a movement with the ideas of liberty in a way that's very constructive. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clair.
1: Liberty friends, liberty lovers, liberty haters. I don't care what direction you're coming at this thing from. I'm just glad to have you back here at the Lions of Liberty podcast where I strive to advance this conversation to advance the ideas of liberty. We're gonna do it once again today with another great conversation in this, the 195th episode of this program. Today's show notes can be found over at lionsofliberty.com 195. Today's show is sponsored by Health Excellence Select, an incredible free market, affordable, legal alternative to your standard Obamacare corporatized insurance. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today has been around the liberty movement for quite some time. He is the founder of FreedomWorks. He was recently a senior advisor for the pro-Rand Paul super pact, Concerned American Voters. He is the author of several books, including... Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff, a libertarian manifesto. He is the founder, president, and chief community organizer of freethepeople.org, the goal of which is to permanently shift the power away from political insiders and cronies and back to communities and individuals. He is, of course, Mr. Matt Kibbe. Matt, before we start, I have to know, are you ready to roar?
0: I'm a libertarian. I'm always ready to roar.
1: All right. That's what we like to hear, Matt. And before we get into a lot of the work you've been doing in politics, supporting Rand Paul specifically until he recently dropped out, I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So why don't you just tell us how it is that you first became a libertarian?
0: You know, when I was 13 years old, I bought an album by the band Rush, and I was reading the liner notes, and it was dedicated to the genius of Ayn Rand. I didn't know who he was, But I happened to stumble across one of her books, and I became obsessed. I devoured Rand, and Rand, of course, suggests that you should read Ludwig von Mises. I ended up going to Grove City College about the same time that Professor Hans Senholtz was recruiting this this youngish congressman named Ron Paul. So I I got lucky. I I stumbled across Liberty at a very young age, and it, it has ruined my life. (laughs)
1: That is a really uh, one interesting way to look at it because um, I think it's ruined many of our lives in the sense that we don't have other lives now because we focus so much on liberty and politics. Because when you really get obsessed with this stuff, when you really get that sense of injustice in the world, you do really feel compelled to not do much else. So it has sort of trapped us in this never-ending cycle of trying to fight for what's right in the world. So, you know, and I haven't kept an official tally, but I would say... The either Rod Paul or Ayn Rand are the top two names that I hear that that first influenced people, probably generationally, depending on when they came into things. But what was it about Ayn Rand's work specifically that really sparked that into you, That that really inspired you to keep pursuing this stuff?
0: I think it's the responsibility of individualism, that when you look in the mirror, you understand that you don't have someone else to blame if you didn't get it done. And I always thought that liberty wasn't just a blank check to do whatever you want. It's the responsibility to take ownership of your own life and to really try to accomplish something with it. And that, that's what I got, the, sort of the moral philosophy that Rand projected that individuals matter. And of course, she's writing in an era when most philosophers were saying that the individual didn't matter. And she fled communist Russia knowing that that philosophy was toxic, that it was deadly. Now, you
1: founded Freedom Works, as we mentioned, and you were with FreedomWorks for many years and decided to leave and pursue your own super PAC to support Rand Paul. So what was it about Rand Paul specifically that inspired you to fully focus on helping his campaign for the presidency, helping his campaign for the Republican nomination?
0: You know, I've been watching uh, the disintermediation of politics that has been empowering citizens with new knowledge and and an ability to self-organize. And and you look at sort of the liberty class of Republicans, certainly Rand Paul is kind of the dean of that class, but also Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, a number of others who were literally opposed by the GOP establishment in that they are able to emerge and be successful on their own promoting the ideas of liberty, actually standing by those principles once they're elected. I always felt that this is, you know, what Matt Welsh calls the libertarian moment. I think we're at that Politics is a lagging indicator, and I think we underestimated the anti-establishment fervor that has been created by Republican failures. And, you know, in hindsight, Rand could have tapped into that better. But he's a guy with ideas, and he's uh, almost a cerebral guy that's not eager to call names. He's willing to just put his ideas out there. And if people agree with them, he asks that we come together.
1: And we'll dig a little bit more into, you know, the specifics of Rand Paul and his campaign in a moment and maybe what he could have done better. But what were you guys actually doing on the ground? What was Concerned American Voters' actual role in helping Rand Paul?
0: So a lot of super PACs will use paid media and they'll set up their own paid media companies to profit mightily when they support a candidate. And I call it the consultant industrial class. But we knew that, that TV wasn't the answer that... that in In all of these races of all these liberty candidates, what they had accomplished was organizing on the ground, quite often without any sort of TV budget because they were raising money outside of the party structure. So what we set out to do at Concerned American Voters was organize on the ground in caucus states like Iowa and Nevada, and we proceeded to recruit a very large army Typically, of younger liberty activists who are knocking on doors, making phone calls. And we talked to tens of thousands of voters that way. And, and our attitude was always Rand's not going to outraise Jeb Bush, but he can outorganize him.
1: Well, there's no doubt that, I mean, he did at least outorganize and get more votes than Jeb Bush, at least in Iowa before he dropped out. So there's certainly credence to that. But, Matt, I hate to be a negative Nancy. But I know what a lot of people are going to be thinking, and that's going to be, you know, where did Rand Paul go wrong here? Where did his touted ground game go wrong? Uh, I'm sure there were, as you pointed out, a lot of people working really hard on the ground. But at the end of the day, at least by the way that we sort of judge political success in our modern system, it's, it's hard to say that the Rand Paul campaign did anything but fail in the sense that it didn't win. <laughs> it didn't continue past Iowa. So, Do you have any kind of areas that you can pinpoint where things went wrong or when things didn't meet the expectations that a lot of people might have had for this campaign?
0: Well, I I think I was certainly one of them that had great expectations. And there was a time in 2015 when Rand was very much considered the front runner. The day he announced for president, the neoconservatives immediately started spending millions of dollars attacking him on his non-interventionist foreign policy positions. But I think uh, you have to go back. And sort of analyze what the Ron Paul coalition actually was, it turned out to be a broader anti-establishment coalition that was part liberty voters, but also part just people that were fed up with the GOP, fed up with the Washington establishment, and wanting to disrupt that. In 2016, in perfect hindsight, we had a very large field of far more qualified anti-establishment candidates than, than Ron ever faced. And we discovered that there was a very clear delineation between sort of a Donald Trump anti-establishment voter versus a pro-liberty anti-establishment voter. And and I even think amongst that block, uh, Ted Cruz definitely competed for those votes. So part of it was uh, the success in repopulating the Republican Party with better candidates. Now, libertarians will quibble about the quality of Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz, but compared to the people that were running in 2012, like Rick Santorum and Mike Huckabee, I got to argue that that's a step up.
1: Sure. Or even going back to 2008 to the Rudy Giuliani's of the world. I mean, do you think Ron Paul's presence back then in 2008 and 2012, even if it didn't necessarily help Rand, do you think it just helped sort of change the conversation and the type of candidate that was being presented by the GOP and the type of candidate that's presenting themselves as any establishment right now? I mean, did he even lay the groundwork, sadly, maybe for the Trump's and the Bernie's that we're seeing right now?
0: I don't know if he laid the groundwork for the Trumps and the Bernies, but I always underappreciated something that you mentioned at the beginning of our talk, was that almost everybody under 30 in the liberty movement today will cite a rally or a YouTube video or some speech that they saw given by Ron Paul that really turned them on to the ideas of liberty. And so what he really accomplished was he seeded a movement that is growing exponentially and it's it is a combination of being at the right place at the right time, his authenticity, but also this, this radical disintermediation that happens through social media, through technology, through the quick dissemination of knowledge that just didn't exist when I was a kid reading the liner notes on a vinyl rock album.
1: <laughs> sure. I mean, and I specifically remember in, in 2007 seeing Ron Paul call out Rudy Giuliani on his statements about 9 11 and basically be the first man to ever mention blowback. I don't know if it was the first man on television, but certainly the first one to mention it in a political debate. And that just sort of shook me awake. I was already a fan of Ron Paul, I'd, I'd been reading his writing for years, but that, that made me go, whoa. Whoa, what did he just say? And I know several people who were specifically inspired by that moment to get more involved in politics, to learn more about our foreign policy. And, of course, that just leads people down the general path to thinking about these things in a deeper way. And, uh, you know, it really does seem like Rand Paul, in a way, was continuing the path of trying to think smarter and more intellectually, more reasoned about politics The problem seems to be that doesn't actually seem to be how a lot of people are viewing politics now in libertarian bubble land, which is where I live. um, You know, it seemed to me that it was obvious that Ron Paul's movement would just continue because, well, you know, you have a certain amount of people who supported him, and why wouldn't those people continue to grow and grow? But I think, you know, what you mentioned earlier, that what we have to realize is maybe that Ron Paul constituency, while it was made up of a lot of real liberty lovers and people that really believed in individual rights, it was also made up of people who were just plain pissed off. And he was the only really anti-establishment guy in those races back then. And that's why we see this movement sort of splintering in different directions. I mean, do you think that Rand Paul sort of failed to present himself as that anti-establishment candidate, as the continuance of that Ron Paul role?
0: Well, he was an elected Republican senator, which turned out to be a liability in this cycle, and there was obviously nothing he could do about that. Another dynamic that I didn't mention, which I think is just as relevant, is I spent a lot of time in Iowa on the ground with a lot of the, the youth activists that were that were knocking on doors and trying to get people to show up at caucus, and I was told again and again that a lot of the students that were rallying with Rand at those huge rallies he was holding ultimately caucused for Bernie Sanders. That sounds incongruous to probably everyone listening, but let me suggest that there's an argument that Trump supporters, a lot of Trump supporters and a lot of Sanders supporters at least got it half right. Bernie talks about um, crony capitalism. He actually was one of the primary sponsors with Ron Paul on the Audit the Fed bill, He's authentic in his own way, and he's sort of exposed Washington as this corrupt collusion of interests. The irony being is that he thinks that more big government is the solution to a problem caused by big government. I think the Bernie kids and um, some of the Ron Paul supporters are potentially the audience for a broader movement on liberty. They know who the enemy is, but they don't have the answers on how to fix this. It's not more government. It's not an authoritarian president that's going to ignore the constitutional limits on executive power. It's got to be the power that comes from the bottom up. It's got to be the power of free people working together in voluntary cooperation. The solutions will not come from politics. And I think we have an opportunity to sort of backfill a movement with the ideas of liberty in a way that's very constructive.
1: Uh, it's really fascinating to me that people that actually went and rallied for Rand Paul would end up caucusing for Bernie. So, I mean, do you think that these were people that at one time planned to caucus for Rand Paul and then for whatever reason throughout that process just became disenchanted or just realized maybe they had a better shot with influencing the Democratic race with Bernie? I mean, what do you think was really behind, I guess, what you might call a defection of many of those early Rand Paul supporters to Bernie?
0: Yeah, I think it was uh, momentum and it was also almost a cultural phenomenon in the same way that the Ron Paul movement was. It was it was a cool place to go. That's where everybody else was. There was music. Um, there was community. And Rand wasn't able to sort of create that same ethos that we saw in the Ron Paul movement, in large part, I think, because uh, the various factions that were choosing various Republican candidates were so dispersed that they split up that critical mass. But I I do think that, uh, as odd as it sounds, Bernie Sanders was the Ron Paul of 2016, and we should both be freaked out by that and also appreciate it for the opportunity it is. Because I, I think when you talk to young people about socialism, they don't mean the same thing we mean. They don't think of socialism as the government ownership of the means of production and the, the mass murderers that, that it empowered in the 20th century, they think about people working together. And conversely, when we say capitalism, they're thinking about crony capitalism. They're thinking about the collusion between uh, the CEO of General Electric and the committee chairman of jurisdiction to protect special interests. And I, I think it's a language thing, but young people are almost libertarian by nature in the sense that they grew up in this very intermediated world they curate everything. They curate their music. They curate their friends. They curate their communities. And if we can't connect with a generation that, that takes their choice as a given, we're missing something. There's an opportunity there.
1: That's such a good point you make about the terminology because I see so many libertarians out there on the internet railing against socialism, railing for capitalism, and I might agree with them in the sense of what I know their definitions are, like you pointed out, socialism meaning a coercive ownership of the means of production, capitalism meaning basically freedom and private property. Those are things I agree with. But when libertarians and liberty folks are out there railing about these topics, like you said, that's not what other people are hearing. You know, they're not getting that same thing from those words. So I think we really need to be careful about our words. I mean, in some ways, I think we kind of need to abandon even discussing these terms. I mean, maybe one-on-one, but when we're trying to send a broad message out saying capitalism, 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 all that does is kind of conjure images of the, you know, the, the smoky back room and the guy with a cigar plotting to sort of use the government to his whim, which we're all opposed to equally. And yet the people that were opposed to that ended up going with the socialists, ended up going with someone who, even if he has good intentions, might end up seeing even more of the policies that they hate so much.
0: Yeah, think about some of our favorite words that now invoke something fundamentally different, something about big government, uh, the first being the word liberal, which of course used to mean liberty of the individual. Community, which used to mean voluntary association, now means something akin to government imposing a mandate, and justice now means social justice. I, I think we need to be aware that some of our language has been perverted and hijacked. But why not use the same market forces that we believe in? You know, when Hayek talks about spontaneous order, he talks about the natural evolution of problem solving. What I want to do in my new organization, uh, Free the People, is start to crowdsource common language, common values that I think actually can unite people who think that they're progressive or people that think that they're conservative, I would suggest on a lot of these values that there's a common ground in the values of liberty.
1: Now, Matt, we'll talk a little bit more about just how liberty minded folks can better convey this message about their values. But first, I have a message of my own to convey to my audience about our great sponsors over at Health Excellence Select. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I purchased my own health insurance. So personally, I was hit by some serious sticker shock after the implementation of Obamacare. My deductible more than doubled, my premium shot through the roof, and I'm just sitting here thinking, what am I actually getting for this? I'm a healthy guy. I don't go to the doctor. I really hadn't even been to a doctor for any major medical problem in years and years and years. So why would I spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month and then have to spend six or $8,000 in deductibles before I even see a dime of coverage for my health care? It just didn't add up and it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up for most of us. But luckily, there is an alternative out there now. It's an alternative known as health sharing. And health sharing is simply awesome. (laughs) I've gotten paid for every single medical bill I've submitted in full, 100%. This is not a joke. After I spend $500, I get everything else back. And our friends at Health Excellence Select have kicked it up a notch. They'll do all the work for you. They will find your doctors. They will set appointments for you. They'll provide you 24-7 access to doctors via Skype so you don't even need to go to a doctor or pay a dime half the time. Health Excellence Select is truly revolutionary and you guys are doing yourselves a disservice if you do not look into this amazing alternative to your standard, corporatized Obamacare health insurance. You can learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash health or if you're ready to sign up, you can directly call my representative, Jeff Cantor at 440-283-6849. Tell him Mark from Lions of Liberty sent you. How can libertarians, how can liberty-minded people better communicate that message, better communicate to the people that might really share a lot of the things that they're upset about, the people that have gone to Bernie, even a lot of the people that have gone to Trump. I mean, I was reading a whole article about, I mean, the main reason people are into Trump is not because he's racist, as the media might want to say, but it's really because he hammers on trade. And there's a reason he hammers on trade is because he knows that so many of his constituency are really upset by it. They see themselves losing jobs. They see corporations going overseas. They see these terrible trade deals like NAFTA, the TPP. They see all all the politicians across the board supporting this stuff. So when somebody finally comes out against it, they just latch on. But as we discussed, these people coming out against it are are anti-establishment, but that doesn't make them principled. That doesn't make them good for liberty. So how can we actually go about focusing that anger, that very real and very genuine anger, and focus it in the proper direction?
0: You know, the opposition to trade and liberalization of markets and opening up opportunity across the board it's not a right-wing disease. Bernie Sanders essentially has the very same views that Donald Trump has on trade. They're sort of flat earthers and (laughs) anti-opportunity in the sense that Hayek would talk about it. That faction exists globally. I mean, there are always people that are anxious about their opportunities moving forward, particularly given this almost permanent recession we've had in the last eight or so years, um, you know, the the aggregate numbers in the stock market really don't tell the story of, uh, you know, sort of the average guy's shrinking wages. And in that world, we become more anti-immigrant. We become anti-trade. We want to start dividing a shrinking pie instead of talking about a growing pie. I don't think that's a new trend. I think it's the way it is. But to your point, when I was working on uh, criminal justice reforms that ran and a number of uh, liberty-minded Republicans were pushing, along with progressive Democrats, I started working with some progressive organizations. And I noticed very early on that I I literally had a hard time understanding what they were saying because they used this tribal language that is so different than conservatives use. It is so different than libertarians use. I think we should at least be self-aware of the tribal language that we use as libertarians. We all have these secret handshakes. You know, we talk about the non-aggression principle.
1: The state, that's a term we always toss around like we all know what it means, but it definitely doesn't mean the same thing to the average man on the street.
0: Yeah, nobody knows what we're talking about. And that was sort of the purpose of my last book, Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff. A progressive was flaming me on Twitter last night because he said it, it was written for five-year-olds. And I said, that's the best compliment I've ever gotten. (laughs) I'm sorry that you still don't understand it, but I don't think I can go any simpler than that. I think we need to boil it down and use common language and try to figure out how to talk to people that aren't part of the club, that have never read Ayn Rand, have never been to a Ron Paul rally, don't know who Ludwig von Mises is. Um, Our audience is so much bigger today We have too many eyeballs seeking out good ideas, and the internet has liberated them from their professors and three TV networks. We should run with that. We should embrace it. We should do everything we can to connect with that big audience.
1: Yeah, I mean, people might say that slogan that don't hurt people and don't take their stuff is very simplistic and very basic and something that almost everyone agrees with. And yet, if they actually try to apply it to politics, well, somehow it doesn't seem like people are actually doing that. So we actually do need to make it simple and do need to break things down in these ways to actually communicate our ideas. Because if we're just talking about hating the state all the time, we're really not going to get anywhere. In fact, we're going to turn a lot of people off. And that's one thing I've noticed in the last four to eight years, and I can tell you my messaging has changed completely and, and my beliefs haven't changed nearly as much as, as the way I talk about things because just basically spewing anger and spewing hatred against the government, that doesn't get you anywhere. And not only that, it's really not a very principled or, or nuanced way to look at
0: things. No, it's it's not. And I think um, that the advantage that libertarians have is that we have a very appealing, positive vision for how civil society can operate, how more people can have opportunity, how how equal treatment under the law could actually happen under a strictly limited government, you know, how voluntary association lifts people up. And we're so sort of righteously angry at the injustices of government, at the injustices of permanent war, we sort of fall into that trap of just railing against government when, in fact, I think people are looking for answers. People are looking for a way out of this mess that both Democrats and Republicans have created.
1: Now, on the subject of messaging, now, we talked about how Rand Paul definitely lost the anti-establishment vote that went to Bernie. It went to Trump. Uh, he just was not, for whatever reason, appealing to that audience, that anti-establishment anger, I guess. At the same time, I mean, just from my own observations, I mean, we did a segment on the show called Rand Paul Uses and Minuses, looking at the ups and downs. And I can tell you, if, if we had this podcast when Ron Paul was around, we probably wouldn't have that segment because there just wasn't much controversy about Ron Paul's opinions among libertarians. And there clearly was about Rand Paul. So do you think that Rand Paul had a messaging problem when it even comes to liberty, folks? I mean, I know a lot of people just think that it seemed like he was cozying up to the establishment with a lot of his positions. Uh, I know a lot of people were upset about some of his stances on sanctions against Iran, signing the Tom Cotton letter, just to name a couple examples. So do you think that Rand Paul, I mean, is it just that he's being true to himself and that isn't what all libertarians will want? Or is it that he is just trying too hard to please too many people?
0: Well, I think he was, uh, you know, the project that Rand Paul embarked on. I'm, I'm not highly critical in hindsight of Rand's efforts. I think he did a heroic job, and there's a lot of reasons why he didn't succeed. But remember, his project was fundamentally different than his dad's. Dad, dad was trying to start a social movement, and I never fully appreciated that. I, in fact, at the time, I was criticizing him because he didn't seem to know what his strategy was to win. Well, he wasn't trying to win. He was trying to convey a message. And I think that that he did incredibly well. Rand was trying to build a majority Republican coalition to win the Republican nomination for president. And those are two very different projects. And if you're trying to be the Republican nominee, you're not going to please libertarians on everything, almost by definition. Now, in hindsight, could he have run a more pro-liberty anti-establishment campaign? Absolutely. But I don't think the the smartest people, myself included, would have known that two years ago. And I, of course, as a super PAC, I was completely divorced from any strategic thinking in the campaign. But I think I would have made some of the same decisions in terms of talking to foreign policy conservatives that had been sold this sort of bill of goods that Rand had this radical attitude. In fact, what he was trying to do is get the GOP to move back towards Reagan, which was less interventionist. It was less neoconservative nation building, you know, the arrogance that we could actually go in and redesign some faraway culture based on our agenda. Rand was shifting back to where the GOP was 20, 30 years ago. He wasn't trying to offer a strictly libertarian vision of non-interventionism.
1: You mentioned earlier that ultimately a lot of the solutions people are looking for are not going to come from politics. So that, of course, begs the question, where are those solutions going to come from? And I think that is something you are attempting to address, at least partially with your organization, freethepeople.org. So why don't you tell people about that organization a little bit more and exactly what you guys are trying to accomplish and if that's going to be a part of those solutions?
0: Yeah, you know, ironically, I left FreedomWorks to help Rand Paul, in essence, to take a step back from politics, and, and maybe that makes sense, maybe it doesn't, but I, I think that, that politics is a lagging indicator of social change. And we've probably invested too much time trying to reform the Republican Party or trying to create a third Libertarian Party. I think we need to look upstream from politics and we need to look at culture. We need to look at how ideas are conveyed today. We need to look at the reality that most young people aren't registering as Republicans or Democrats or registering as independents that's consistent with everything that millennials do today. That, Like I said earlier, they're curating everything. They're choosing this, they're choosing that. And they view sort of the Republican Democrat choice as the equivalent of shopping in a Caracas shopping mall. There's just not anything there for them. So how do we connect with common language? How do we connect through culture? You know, I was looking at your last, uh, post with, uh, the hip-hop guy. I've forgotten his name Uh, already. Eric July,
1: yep, recent guest of mine.
0: Yeah, that stuff is cool. And I think uh, through YouTube and all of these social media outlets, you're going to see successful libertarian artists, successful libertarian musicians, uh, movies with a shoestring budget. How do we build the culture? But I I do think we got to start with common language. And I do think that we need to work with the right and the left. So at Free the People, you're going to see coalitions on criminal justice reform with progressive organizations. You're going to see um, coalitions with conservatives um, talking about the deadly nature of socialism and everything in between. And I think that's what uh, young people are looking for because they don't want a one size fits all package. They don't want someone else to decide for them. They wanna choose, they wanna think it through They want to learn, but let's not start that learning by plopping a copy of Human Action on their desk and say, read that and get back to me.
1: Read this thousand page economic tome and we'll talk tomorrow about what a great libertarian you are.
0: Yes, I don't think that's a good strategy. And, you know, I think uh, that the liberty movement is very ideas based. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's one of the reasons that it is so cohesive. But we got to grow beyond the bookish nature of who we were when I was 22, because back then there was a very small group of libertarians. Unfortunately, you knew everybody. Um, Today, if you go to Students for Liberty or Young Americans for Liberty, I was just in Europe at the European Students for Liberty Conference, and it grows every year. It almost doubles in size every year. And you can talk to libertarian activists from Serbia and Croatia and Spain and almost every country across the globe now has a liberty movement. And it's all empowered by the internet. It's all empowered by Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. So that's where we got to go. We got to go where people are. We got to start developing one minute YouTube videos that explain our complicated notion of foreign policy and just break it down in a way that people can connect with it
1: and maybe a few 30-minute podcasts while we're at it, too. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate getting your perspective on all this stuff. Just before I let you go, why don't you just give one last run-through of how everybody can find the work you're doing and contact you?
0: Find me on Twitter, at @mkibby and uh, check out Free the People at freethepeople.org. Sign up. Become an activist. Become an evangelical for liberty or something like that. I, I don't know what that word is, but like own it, wear it on your sleeve, roar for liberty.
1: I love it. There's no better way to end than you telling my audience to roar for liberty because that's exactly what we do here. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Matt. Folks, I hope you enjoyed my discussion today with Mr. Matt Kibby, a guy who's been around the political scene for quite some time. I think he's got a pretty good idea of how things work. And I think we can learn a lot of lessons, both from what we've seen as possible failures from the Rand Paul campaign and the successes of the Bernie Sanders and the Donald Trump campaigns, because they are really pulling from legitimate anger in the populace. Now, I don't want to suggest that all libertarians should just become generically anti-establishment to attract people for their political gains. Not at all. I actually think that Matt's current approach is what makes a lot more sense, because if we're just trying to pick out politicians, to be honest, it's hard to find very many pro-liberty, consistently rational politicians out there right now. It just is. Now, we should encourage the creation of more of them. I hope this show helps create a few more of them myself. But in the meantime, the smartest way, the best way to focus on politics to me is, is through issues, is through focusing on specific issues that we can remain principled on, whether it's opposition to NSA spying or criminal justice reform. Of course, my good associate and friend, John Odermatt, does a weekly show about criminal justice reform, about the broken criminal justice system, which you can hear this coming Friday in the Lions of Liberty podcast feed, the Felony Friday podcast. So be sure to check that out. Be sure to check out all our shows by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Stitcher. If you like listening on YouTube, you can subscribe to us over there as well. There's really no shortage of methods by which you can hear the show. If you have the Amazon Echo, you can just shout at that puppy. Hey, Alexa, play me Lions of Liberty on TuneIn Radio because, yes, we are on TuneIn Radio, which is how the Amazon Echo plays podcasts. So there really is no limit to the methods by which you can hear the show. You can, of course, hear us on the weekends at LibertyTalk.fm and throughout the week at the Liberty Radio Network, LRN.FM. And guys, this show is built on interviews. That's all I did for the first, who knows, 50 or some odd episodes I just did, interviews with many people in the liberty movement. That's really what built this. Now, since then, we've grown in so many ways. I've brought in many of my fellow Lions of Liberty associates. We've done a lot of roundtables, and we're going to try to bring you another one next week to look at the, all the comings and goings in politics with the GOP race, with the Democrat race, with all the wildness in this year's campaign for presidency. It truly has been crazy and hopefully touch on some few issues too, as, as hopefully we can sort of steer away from focusing on this presidential race so much. I know that's probably a vain hope, but there is a lot else going on in the world that is worthy of discussion and we do plan to tackle it. Of course, we'd like you to join the conversation. You can suggest topics that you'd like to hear us discuss by coming over to the Lions of Liberty Forum. That is our private group on Facebook. It costs nothing to join. All you got to do is type Lions of Liberty Forum in your search bar and request to join. I'll let you right in as long as you don't look like a spam bot. So don't put a meme on your profile picture because that might be an indicator. Otherwise, we'll invite you right in to join the conversation. If you don't like Facebook, no problem. You can find us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. You can email me, Mark, M-A-R-C. Don't put a K in there, guys. It really drives me crazy. M-A-R-C at lionsofliberty.com if you want to reach out to me and have any thoughts, suggestions, criticisms. Yes, that's right. I openly invite criticisms as long as they're constructive. Please don't call me a poopoo head. That doesn't help us at all. But guys, I am happy to have you guys here. Of course, like I mentioned, Felony Friday this coming Friday. And next week, we'll bring you guys another roundtable. We're going to keep advancing this conversation. Until then, folks, live long and live free.